right. I'm going to need a sozo because I have an adverse reaction to the term gently used. It goes back to my youth pastor days when there was a request for a certain game they were going to play and they asked for gently used pantyhose. And uh, I still haven't gotten over that. So y'all can pray for me. I'm a work in progress. Nashville, uh, many of you have been asking about Nashville. You know, you saw the news, the uh, tornado that came, went through Nashville this week. And uh, we've talked to Mason several times. Uh, our son Mason is a, uh, one of the pastors at Cross Point Church in Nashville. Their church was hit pretty hard by the uh, tornado. They have six locations and two of their six locations were hit. And uh, so pray for them. Uh, I know the, the main campus, the Nashville campus is meeting at uh, Lipscomb University, uh, at least through Easter, because uh, they, they can't get in their building. Um, I, talking with Mason last night, he did say this, that uh, the general um, outlook or, or uh, spirit of, of the city is one of hope and just feeling the presence of the Lord. Um, he said he was reminded and had really been praying in the direction of something that uh, he said he learned here at Riverstone is that, you know, our belief that if God can uh, fill a person, he can fill a room. If he can fill a room, he can fill a city. If he can fill a city, he can fill a state or a region. And uh, he said they really are f just feeling that God has filled the city of Nashville and so even though it's a tragedy and a lot of people are, are suffering and have lost homes, and uh, but he said the general outlook of the city is hope and just feeling the presence of God. So pray for them. Uh, and the, ne the next two Sundays we'll have um, a place where you can bring uh, things that they need in Nashville. And uh, if you'll watch the newsletter, there'll be a list uh, of things that they're asking for. And we'll try to fill up a truck and send that up to them. Uh, I have a few other things uh, to announce, uh, just quickly, things that we uh, want you to be aware of uh, that may have not been in the announcement video. Number one is, uh, we last, if you remember last fall, uh, up right before Christmas, we had some thefts. Um, some of you may still be nervous about sending us checks. Don't be. Uh, it's okay. That's taken care of. We have a post office box now. Everything is good. So if you want to send us um, checks, you can do that. Uh, if you want to send us more checks than you ever have, um, they'll be safe. I promise. So uh, Riverstone Youth, uh, are cha they're changing their time a little bit. So if you have, y'all feel good about that. So um, if you have... Uh, what should I call y'all? Teenagers? If you have teenagers, I almost said children, sorry. If you have teenagers and you need to know what time to get them here, uh, the new schedule is from 6 to 8. Good? 6 to 8. Uh, they'll have free time and worship together, and then they'll split up uh, for the message and the small group times. So middle school and high school together for worship, and then uh, split up for uh, teaching and small groups. Uh, you saw the sign, the announcement about commission the city. 
March 20th and 21st. Uh, hopefully you noticed on that announcement, Harvest Bashta, uh, who used to be here at Riverstone, will be leading worship for that event. So, hey, that's a reason to come just in itself. Um, so March 20th and 21st, we need at least 50 Riverstone people to volunteer for that event. And so if you're interested, uh, there's a sign up in the hallway after the service. And uh, so look for that table and sign up uh, to volunteer. Now, big deal, important. Um, today, you see these baskets up here, uh, two in the front. I think there's, how many, Christy, you got in the back? Two, three, four, four in the back. So either uh, during ministry time, you can come up here or on your way out today, uh, you can put an offering in the basket. Here's what it's for. Born Again Blessings is next weekend. And we have uh, some young girls from Marietta High School who are uh, unwed mothers-to-be, and we want to help them. Uh, we want to provide them with free shopping. And so our goal uh, today is $1,000. And so if you want to bring an offering specifically for that purpose, put it in the basket. Uh, we want to help these moms. They're in a, a difficult situation, and BAB is a... a opportunity for them to buy some, some clothes for their babies that will help them out. And so uh, if you want to contribute to that, you can do it either during ministry time in the front or on your way out uh, at the end of the service. Okay, so Melissa and I will be leaving this afternoon. Uh, Mike and Kim Smith have already, I think, started their trek down uh, towards Florida. We will be uh, leading a retreat for the pastors and their spouses in the network. Let me, sh let me show you who they are. You got that? Here we go. So this is where all of our churches are. Can you see that? So up in Ackworth, you see Arise Life, Kennesaw is Riverstone. Way over here in, on the border of Paulding and Cobb is Vintage 242. Right there in Marietta, we have Stonebridge and Highlands and East Cobb is Sojourn and down in Smyrna is River City. So if anybody wants to plant a church in Powder Springs and Austell, that's wide open. So be thinking about that. Now, go to the next. So here are our people. That's David and Mary Margaret Eldridge. Uh, they pastor Stonebridge, which we planted in 2007. They're on the square. That's Steve and Randall Hambrick, and they pastor Vintage 242 that was launched in 2009. Steve looks happy, doesn't he? Sojourn Church, uh, Alex, Ernie and Alex Wagner, uh, launched in 2012. Alex is the sister of Alyssa who rocks the world as she leads worship. So just so you know that. Uh, also Joe and Doreen's <laughs> daughter. So there you go. So Josh and Sarah Turner, they look happy. River City Church launched in 2014 there in Smyrna. Peter and Masha Oswald. Uh, Arise Life was launched in 2017. And they're our newest plant, uh, Highlands in Marietta, launched in 2019, David and Jane Scott. So that's all of our churches. Of course, you know us, we're Riverstone. <laughs> so here's what I ask is that you would pray for us. Yeah. Um, pr pray for us this week. 
the, the main agenda of this retreat really is to bless. We, we go down, we just spend some time together. We love on each other. We are very intentional in how uh, we love on these couples. And uh, quite frankly, especially uh, the wives. Uh, we, we try to bless them and really give to them uh, because a lot of times uh, people don't, don't think to do that. And so uh, pray for us as we do that. Mike and Kim are so uh, incredible in, in helping to lead this. They're incredible servants and they love doing it. So uh, just thank you for your prayers as we go. All right, so we've been uh, walking through Luke and today we come to Luke chapter six. Uh, we're gonna look at verses 17 through 26. If you wanna open a Bible or take a look at the screen, we'll start right here at 17. He, which is Jesus, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Lord, I pray uh, that you would help us to understand what you wanna say to us today, that we would hear from you, that your voice would be clear, Lord, we love your word. We, we declare that your word is true, that your word is timeless, uh, and that you are here actually in this place today uh, to speak your word into our hearts and to interpret for us uh, your, your breath. And so we want to breathe you in today. In Jesus' name, amen. We had a, somebody came up and whispered in my ear during worship that they had seen a picture of Jesus actually doing CPR on people all through uh, the room, which is kind of an interesting picture. If you think about John chapter 20, Jesus is with his disciples and he says to them, uh, receive my spirit, and he just breathes on them. Breathes on them. And so there is life in the breath of Jesus. There's life in the breath of Jesus. And that's the picture that I want you to have today. Uh, as we receive his word, I want you to just, just breathe it in and let the healing power of his word uh, bring healing to your souls and to your spirits, to your bodies. 
Uh, some people call this passage the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and there's some uh, debate over whether or not this is one event or two events. Uh, some people like to say, well, one's on a mountain and one's on a plain, so how can they be the same? But if you closely look at the passages, you'll see that on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts off in the plain. He's in a flat area, he's healing the people, and then when he gets ready to teach, he goes up to a high place so that he can uh, speak down to the people and you know, project to the, to the large crowd. So I, I kind of think it's one event. I think it's one event. I, I, one of the reasons I think that is because in both Matthew and Luke, right after uh, this story is the healing of the centurion's servant. And it just seems like when you look at the timeline, it just seems to me like it's one event. Now, there are differences in emphasis, and, and the difference is not necessarily based on what happened during the event, but it's who the author of the gospel is writing to. And so Matthew's uh, account of this sermon is much longer. Uh, he is writing to a primarily Jewish audience and so he includes a lot of things that have to do with the law and requirements uh, for Judaism. Luke is writing primarily to a Gentile audience, and he doesn't include a lot of the things that Matthew includes. But you can look at the two sermons side by side and see that the message of Jesus is timeless, that the message of Jesus is for all people, that he, his message is true, it's true for the Jew, and it's true for the Gentile. This, this is the thing we have to remember about the message of Jesus that, that is so primary in what he said is that, and, and this actually was the thing that got him killed. Uh, Jesus didn't come saying, I am a way. He didn't come saying, you know, here, here are some good ideas for you. Jesus came saying, I am the way. I'm the only way. Every other way leads to death. I'm the only way that leads to life. So that's, that's the starting point. Now, so in this passage that we're looking at, verse 17 opens with, he went down with them and stood on a level place. And uh, as we said, the sermon that follows is very similar in content uh, to what you find in Matthew. It's just shorter. Um, so don't let the differences bother you. If it could be that it's two sermons, and, and it's okay if it is, because I'm sure that Jesus preached his sermons more than once. Because all good preachers... <laughs> so... Anyway, so, but both times in the context of the message, both times, uh, Jesus is healing the masses. People are bringing uh, their friends to Jesus. People are coming to Jesus for two reasons. They want to hear what he has to say and they want to be healed. So they're coming to hear and they're coming to be touched by Jesus because he has the power to heal. And so the sick are coming and the broken are coming and, and people who have been oppressed are coming because they want to receive from Jesus. Uh, in both situations, in both the Matthew account and the Luke account, he's healing the masses. And then it seems like he turns to his disciples and, and teaches. And so his teaching is directed more at the disciples than the, than the crowd. Now the crowd benefits from it. They hear it, but he's speaking directly to the disciples, not necessarily the 12, but 
disciples, all of those who have chosen to follow him, all of the ones who have, have said yes to him. That's, that's really uh, who he's speaking to. And so we're going to walk through verses 20 through 26 and just, just see what he has to say. He starts off with some blessings for the believers. And then he has some woes for those that don't believe. So we're going to take a look at, at both of those things. Uh, the first thing he says is, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Uh, make no mistake, G Jesus loves the poor. Some people have taken this passage and they've tried to create a theology that says just, you know, if you're poor, uh, you go to heaven just by virtue of being poor. And that's, that's not what it says. That's not what the passage says. Jesus loves the poor and he ministers to all of the poor. But these words specifically are for what we would call the pious poor or the believing poor. Jesus would even go so far as to say, blessed are the poor who are poor because of me. Because of me. Everything in this passage, if you really look at it closely, everything that he speaks to are conditions that these people have endured because they've made the decision to connect themselves to him. So he's actually saying, You're, you will be blessed. You may be struggling and suffering now because you've said yes to me, but you will be blessed ultimately. So if you, if you pay attention to the passages, you'll see that. So he's saying, the pious poor are those who believe the kingdom of God belongs not just to the poor, but to the believing poor, those who are poor because of Jesus. Then he says, blessed are you who hunger now. Uh, one of the consequences of being poor is being hungry. And this is true both of those who are physically poor and those who are spiritually poor. Both are hungry. And in this particular context, they're hungry because They've said yes to Jesus. The third thing he says is, blessed are you who weep now. Now, the, we need to understand that this is a cumulative statement. Jesus is not saying, blessed are the poor, and blessed are the hungry, and blessed are the sad. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor, hungry, sad people. It's a cumulative statement. The poor and the hungry are sad because their life is hard. Being poor and being hungry is difficult. And they are poor and hungry because of Jesus. But Jesus says to them, joy is coming. Joy is coming, and that is the promise that he makes to them, is that life won't always be hard. Life is hard now, but there is a day coming when joy will replace your sadness, and you will laugh. The fourth thing he says is, blessed are you, and this kind of brings it all together. Blessed are you when men hate you, exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil, because of me. And so if you put it all together, Jesus says, blessed are the, are the poor, and blessed are the hungry, and blessed are those who, who weep and mourn, and blessed are those who are hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected because of me. That's his message. So the poor, the hungry, and the sad are hated 
because they have aligned themselves with Jesus. Uh, he's specifically speaking to those who have said yes to him. He's not speaking to four groups, he's speaking to one group. He's speaking to one group who has said yes to Jesus because in this day, in Jesus' day and in our day, saying yes to Jesus means loss. There's a cost with it. In particular, in Jesus' culture, if you said yes to him, it meant losing family, it meant dismissal from the synagogue, it meant rejection socially, it even meant that you would be seen as unclean. If you said yes to Jesus in his day, in the culture that he lived in, if you attached yourself to him, you were considered unclean. So there was a great cost that came with saying yes to Jesus. Now, sometimes it may be difficult for us to understand that. Uh, we tend to live in a culture where we, we feel like saying yes to Jesus blesses us incredibly. But if you look around the world, it's not true everywhere. We live in an incredible place where we are blessed. We have a lot. Uh, but if you look in other places in the world, people have who have said yes to Jesus have suffered exactly the fate that he's talking about here in this passage. They've been shunned by their families because they said yes to Jesus. They've lost their jobs because they said yes to Jesus. They've lost their lives because they said yes to Jesus. It's estimated that in the last 100 years, more people, in the last 100 years, more people have died for being a Christian than in the previous 1900 years combined. There is a cost that goes with saying yes. But Jesus says to them after he lays out Blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who are hungry, blessed are those who weep now. Blessed are you when men hate you and reject you. Then he says this, and this, this is important for us to grasp. He says, rejoice, rejoice. Now, the thing we need to understand about rejoicing is that rejoice is not an emotion. It's an action. Rejoice is not something you feel, it's something that you do. Rejoice is not a feeling, it's an action, it's a choice. And so Jesus is saying, actually in this context, it's a command. He says, you're suffering now. Don't wait until things turn and then rejoice. Rejoice now. Rejoice in the midst of trouble. Make the choice in the midst of trouble, when things are difficult, when life is hard, make the choice then to rejoice. Rejoice is not an emotion, it is a command. It's not something you feel, it's something you do, it's an intentional choice. Now, here, here's the, where it kind of gets squirrely for us. Um, he follows... Y'all know what squirrely means? <laughs> if you're from Alabama, you know what squirrely means. 
It means you're nerv nervous. Never seen a calm squirrel, right? Okay, so it's kind of get squirrely here because he said all this blessing stuff, right? And we, we look at the blessing stuff and, and for some of us, in fact, for most of us, it's hard to identify. It's hard to identify with, you know, these things that he's talking about. If, if you're in this room, you may feel poor and you may even be qualified as poor by Cobb County standards, but by the standards of the world, every person in this room is rich by the standards of the world. Hungry? If you had anything to eat yesterday, not even counting today, if you had anything to eat yesterday by the standards of the world, you're doing pretty good. And you might say, well, I, you know, I don't want to live by the standards of the world. I'm going to live <laughs> right now. And I understand that. And some of you have a harder time obtaining food and shelter than others. And there are people in this, in this room, make no mistake, there are people in this room who are in need. And I don't want to belittle that, but what I want to say is that sometimes it's harder for us to identify with the first four things that Jesus talks about than it is the, the next four things. And this is the squirrely thing, is that he follows his words of blessing with four words of woe that seem to have a lot more in common with us than the words of blessing. Four words of woe is, woe to you who are rich. And the majority of us, the overwhelming majority of us in this room are rich by the world standards, if not all of us. In this con context, he's specifically speaking to those who are known for taking advantage of the poor. He's not just saying everybody that's rich, everybody that has stuff is going to struggle and suffer, but he is saying that people whose wealth comes at the expense of others that the day of judgment is coming for them. Jesus gives more than one warning uh, in the Gospels about what wealth can do to a person. Now, he, does, he never says that all rich people are bad. He never says that. But he does say that wealth is always somewhat of an obstacle that can always cause difficulty. 1 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let me get that slide up. Here we go. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That pretty much sums it up. This is what Jesus is saying, is that he's not saying it's, it's evil to have stuff. He would say that it's evil for stuff to have you. And he's not saying that it's wrong for you to have stuff. It's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. And, if, and it's how you got what you have. If you, if you got it at the expense of others. He's speaking to a group of people who are known for cheating and taking advantage of the poor in order to become rich. Uh, second woe is a woe to you who are fed. 
And I would say that probably who he's speaking to here is those who ignore God and trust in their own ability to provide for themselves. When you're hungry, you have a tendency to cry out to God and say, help me. When you have plenty, maybe not so much. When you have plenty, you have a tendency to take it for granted. And maybe even think that you did it. And Jesus is saying, woe to you when you are self-reliant, when you have plenty, you have enough to eat, you have more than enough to eat, you've become a glutton possibly, and you give no thought to those around you who are hungry. Woe to you who are fed. A third woe is woe to you who laugh now. And I would relate this to the same as the previous passage. They're happy because they have stuff and they're oblivious to those who don't. So again, it's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have and it's what your attitude towards what you have is and your attitude towards those around you who don't. And then the fourth woe is woe to you when all men speak well of you. How many of you would love for everyone to speak well of you? I mean, wouldn't that just make life easier if everyone thought you were great? And Jesus said, guys, that's really not what you want. It's not what you want. In fact, he would say, uh, check out my life. Do you know that the majority, the overwhelming majority of people who lived on the earth during the time of Jesus hated him? And yet we have a tendency to slide into the popularity contest. We live in a world today that is so super sensitive we get our feelings hurt so easily. And we haven't even come close to being rejected and ridiculed and accused the way that Jesus was. And yet he said, if you follow me, you should expect this kind of treatment. Now I'm not saying go out and see if you can make some people mad at you today. <laughs> what I'm saying is, don't be disobedient because you're afraid that somebody won't like you. Last week, one of the things we said about wave makers is that they're not afraid of obedience. They're afraid of disobedience. And that should be the, the position, the condition of our heart is that I'm, I'm more afraid of offending God than I am offending God other people. And if you follow on into the passage that follows this, what you'll find is that that, does, that won't make you a rude person. Loving God with all of your heart and caring more about what he, how he sees you and what he thinks of you than what people think will not make you aloof and it will not make you rude. Guess what it will make you? It will make you kind and it will make you loving. It will make you compassionate. 
In fact, Jesus goes on to say in, this ne- in the next passage, it will teach you, it will empower you and enable you to love like nobody else loves. Because the way the world loves is the world loves the ones that love them. And the way the kingdom works is that the kingdom of, in the kingdom of God, not only do we love each other, we, we love our enemies. We love those that hate us. We love those that ridicule us. We love those that despise us. We love those that seek to kill us. Because the love that we carry is not our own. It's the love that Jesus has put within us. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you when your identity and your value is based on public opinion rather than the opinion of God. So again, here we are. We live in a wealthy country. We live in a wealthy county. We live in a wealthy part of a wealthy county. What are we going to do with it? I'm not suggesting that everyone in the room give away everything you have and move to the poorest place that you can find. Unless God tells you to do that. What I am suggesting is that perhaps we need to be more aware of what's going on around us, more aware of our neighbors, uh, more aware of friends and strangers, more aware of not so much what we have, but what has us so that we can be obedient. So that if God were to say, hey, why don't you give away half of what you have? It wouldn't scare us to death. We would just say, okay, that's what you want me to do. Can we position our hearts towards generosity and towards love rather than towards clutching for ourselves out of a fear that we might not have enough tomorrow. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the way that you lead us and the way that you love us. And uh, I pray that you give us ears to hear your voice, the things that you want to say to us uh, today and, and, and uh, the changes that you want to make in our hearts and our lifestyles and the way that we think. And, uh, and in particular, in the way that we love. We want to love the way you love. So help us to do that and help us not to be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.